down in May But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top, back on top in June There's a common greeting in our culture where people will come up to you and they'll just say simply, what do you know? I've got a really honest answer that I give to people these days, and it's this, not enough. As I've gotten to be 50 years old, I really thought that my life would be a little bit different by now. I thought I would be certain about a lot more things. A lot more things would be black and white to me. I would be developing competencies in all the things that I need to do in life. But if I'm honest, I experience disappointment. And even when I step back and I'm really honest about my spiritual life and where I'm at, at 50 years old, as the pastor of a church, I know in my heart, I want to love God more. I want to sin less than I do. I want to grow in my relationship with God. But there's other areas of life that I see disappointment as well. I'm disappointed at how easily I can be offended by criticism and how that can just tank me in my life. How jealous I can be when I feel like I've been slighted or overlooked by people. How angry and selfish I can be when I don't get my way. And even though after 50 years, I've watched God do amazing things and provide in so many ways, I still can be so anxious about the future when things feel uncertain. I imagine like, why can't I pray longer than I do without my mind just drifting off to things that don't even matter in this world? I wanna be a dad that has all the answers for his kids, that makes all these amazing memories for his kids, that is able to impart wisdom all the time to his kids. Sometimes I wonder, honestly, are my kids going to remember any wisdom I gave them? Are they going to remember how many times I had to say, I'm sorry for blowing it? I want to be that husband that is just a rock for Carmen. But so many times in my life, I find myself just being a puddle and overwhelmed. And instead of being the person that she can lean on, I find myself needing to lean deeply into her. I want to be a better friend to the people around me. I want to be a better pastor for this church. I want to not be the pastor that is constantly disappointing people here and there, left and right. And if I were to pull back my disappointment a little bit further with you and be gut level honest, sometimes I'm actually disappointed with my lack of disappointment. Sometimes I just feel like, well, maybe this is just it. Maybe this is just all there is for me. Sometimes I don't think my state bothers me as much as it should. Now, I'm imagining after I shared all of what I just did, there might be some people 
that are turning to each other at home or maybe even here in the audience and saying, is Bob having a midlife crisis? Is there something that we should be worrying about for him? Don't worry. But I believe what I'm experiencing in this growing sense of disappointment is rooted in the very real reality that I have yet to fully become the person that Jesus has made me to be. Maybe another way to say it is I'm longing for more. Just think about that word disappointment. I'm unable and unwilling to experience the appointment that God has for me. There is an appointed life that God has for me. And in some ways, I'm missing it. There is more. We are called to become the person that God had in mind when he originally designed us. There's more. But here's the deal. You need to become the person that God has uniquely created you to be with your temperament, your gene pool, your history. You need to live the life that Jesus would live if he was you. And here's what this means. It means that as we grow in him, as we move toward that more, that we begin to perceive the world the way that Jesus perceives the world. And we respond to the world the way that Jesus would respond. We think like he thinks. We feel like he feels. And then the result of that is that we would do what he does, what he would do if he was us. It's as if Jesus were living his life through us. That's the new life. That's the new life that we've been talking about in this book of Colossians. So if there's something in you and you are hungering for more, this is a message for you because that's what Paul is gonna engage in at the very beginning of Colossians chapter three. He's gonna talk to us about how are we able to live the new life that is found in following Jesus? Because here's the deal, friends. They were asking the exact same question 2,000 years ago that I'm and other people are asking today. How do we live this out? How do we become all that God has created us to be? So if you're hungry, hungry for more, let's buckle in because Paul is talking to you. And Paul's gonna help us understand three things about this new life. The first is we've got to understand the foundation of this new life. What is the bedrock? What does it rest on? Secondly, we need to understand the formation. How is this built in us? And lastly, we need to understand the fruit. What will it look like for us? How will we know if we're making progress? Here's what Paul says, talking about the foundation, Colossians chapter three, starting in verse one. Paul says this, since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Here's what Paul is asking us to do. He's saying, lift your eyes, lift your heart, set your eyes, set your mind, set your heart on things above. 
But if we set our mind on things above, what is it that he wants us to see when we look up there? Theologians would call it the union of Christ. That's what Paul wants us to see. The way that Paul describes it here is that we need to see that your life is now hidden with Christ. I want to do a little exercise here, a little visual picture for you to understand what happens in us when we come to faith in Christ. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you say, Jesus is my king. I bow my life to him. I say, I'm going to follow him with every part of my life. What happens is that Jesus comes in to your life. Christ is in us. This is you. Christ is in you. But Paul says more here in Colossians chapter three, doesn't he? He says, your life is now hidden in Christ. So your life that has Christ in it is wrapped in, it's harder to get in there than you think. Your life now is hidden and sealed in Jesus. Paul wants us to understand this is who you are. Your life, inside, outside, wrapped, clothed, is about Jesus. Paul says he is your life. Friends, this is who you are as a follower of Jesus. And Paul says you've got to understand this, this union with Christ. And I love how Tim Keller described it. He used a simple phrase to talk about what does this actually mean for us practically. He says the union of Christ means that everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you because this is who you are. Jesus inside of you, Jesus wrapped around you. Union with Christ, everything that's true of Jesus is now true of you. And that's what Paul is unpacking here at the very beginning of chapter three. He says that you died with Christ. The way that Christ died, he died to pay a death penalty. In that same way, you died with him. He died in your place. It's as if you died to pay that death penalty. And that righteous life that Christ lived, that righteous life that we all should live and we don't, it's as if Christ lived that life through us. It's as if we live that life ourselves. And he says that we are also, we are raised with Christ. This resurrection to new life that Christ experiences and continues to experience is true for us. We can be raised to new life. And ultimately, we will be raised to new life with him. It's a new life because everything that is true of Jesus is true of us. And that's why, friends, you know baptism is important to us around here. Because when we're baptized, it's this public declaration of a new identification. Everything in us is identifying that Jesus is inside of me. He is wrapped around me. I am identifying every part of my life with him. And so just the picture of baptism, we are dead with Christ. We died with him and we're raised to new life. This picture of who we are in him. Paul goes on in this section because he wants us to understand this picture. Where is Jesus now? If everything that is true of Jesus is true of us, where is Jesus now? Paul says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean 
that he is sitting at the right hand. I mean, he is right next to. He is in a place of honor as a son. It is a place of closeness. It is a place of intimacy. He has the ear of the king. And this is what Paul wants us to understand. Because we are in Christ, because we are now hidden with Christ, that is true of us. We sit beside the king. We have access to the king. We have the ear of the king. Now, I hope that as I've tried to explain what Paul is getting at here, I hope that maybe somewhere in the back of your mind, somewhere you might be saying to yourself, you know, that sounds too good to be true. Because here's why I think that's important to think that. Because if you're thinking that, you might actually be starting to understand the magnitude of what God did for us in Christ. But on the other hand, if you're hearing what I'm saying, and you're like, you know, Bob, I just feel like you say that same thing over and over and over. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that. Let, let's move on from the ABCs of the faith. Let's move on to something bigger and more meaningful. Friends, you need to understand, this is not the ABCs of our faith. This is the A to Z of our faith. If we don't understand what we have as a foundation in our relationship with Christ, nothing else in the Christian life will ever make sense. Nothing will make sense. We've got to understand the foundation. And friends, when you start to understand the foundation, what's gonna start to happen is it's gonna start to melt your heart with gratitude, thankfulness for what God did for us in Christ. We've got to have this nailed That's why when Paul begins this section, the very first word that he uses at the beginning of chapter three is the word since. Since. What he's trying to communicate is this is definite. This is reality. There are no question marks about the truth of this for you. It's not like I wish for, I hope for, I'll cross my fingers behind my back. I hope that this is true. Paul says it is true since you died with him. Can you say that today? When you think about this idea of the union of Christ, is there a firmness in your heart and in your life that just says, since I know that that is true? Because if we don't understand that, we will not understand anything about the Christian life. Now we're going to make a transition because Paul does too. And here's what we need to understand is that our value and our worth and our godliness then is not measured by the things that we do, but it's measured by the things that Christ did, what he's done for us. So now as Paul makes a transition now, and he begins to talk about what we often call the ethical sections of scripture, another way to say that is kind of the do's and don'ts of scripture, you've got to understand that that is built on this foundation of our union with Christ. We are valuable not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And that forms our thinking about how we engage with the ethical sections of scripture because we need to think about how do we begin to form this new life in us? Secondly is formation then. Colossians chapter three, starting in verse five. Here's what Paul says. He says, put to death, therefore. Let me stop just for a second, give you a little Bible study tip here. Whenever you're reading your Bible, 
And you see that word, therefore, there's a question that needs to immediately pop in your mind. You need to say, what is the therefore, therefore? Why is that here? Because it's a connecting word. Paul wants us to connect what he's saying now to what he said before. This foundation of who we are in Christ is gonna inform why we do what we do in this next section. So that's why Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. Paul gives us kind of an imagery here. This idea of putting off and putting on. Maybe a way to think about that is think about a wardrobe. There are things that we take off and there's things that we put on. And here's what Paul is asking us to do, is to walk into the closet of your life, look at all the things that you wear, and ask yourself, what are the things that are incongruent with who I am at my foundation? And he lists things in this section that are incongruent with someone that is a follower of Jesus. And he says, take those things and put them off. And take other clothes and put them on, because that's who you are. And there's a vision that Paul has for us as we move this process of taking things out of our life that don't match up with a follower of Jesus and we begin to put other things on our life that do match up. There's a change that happens in us as we start to look more like Jesus. Here's what he says in Colossians chapter three, nine and 10. He says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. That's what Paul's telling us. This is where this is going. This disappointment that you feel, it's because you've not fully become who God wants you to be as an image bearer of Christ. But as we put things off and we put things on, we begin to close that disappointment gap. There's a way that theologians talk about this. They talk about it as already, but not yet. Because I just spent a lot of time telling you that this is who you are. This is how God sees you. But if we're honest and we look at our life, if this is who God says that we are, we experience our life often very, very far from that. But the already not yet means that we put off and we put on, and that begins to close the gap in our life. Because that gap is what creates that disappointment in our life. Putting off putting on. It's what begins to change us from the inside out. But Paul goes on to talk about what does it begin to look like for us as a community of believers as we're doing this putting off and putting on that's built on the foundation of our union with Christ. I want to talk with you about a couple of things that will be apparent as we start to grow. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of the creator. And then here's what Paul says. 
This is gonna be a piece of fruit that comes from us living out the putting off and the putting on. Verse 11, he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul says, this is what's gonna be apparent. This is what's gonna be a true. Divisions among people will go away where the gospel is being lived out. That's where Paul says, here. That very first word in verse 11, here. Where's here? He's talking about the kingdom of God, the family of God. Here, those things can't exist. Any kind of divisions between people, whether it's race, nationality, gender, economic status, social status, physical ability, anything that could divide people. He says, at the foot of the cross, the ground is completely level. There is no divisions with people. Could there ever be a more relevant time for us to engage and think about this text? The things that we're dealing with in our culture around racism. You see, racism isn't something that we just invented here in the 21st century America. This is something that has been going on as long as people have been around. But Paul says in the family of God, it ought not exist. A handful of weeks ago, I spent a little bit of time pressing into these issues with you. I talked to someone after that part of our church, and he said, man, I'm going to tell you, you're walking a tightrope talking about those things. It's interesting, if you don't know our church, you need to understand what he meant. Because there are certain churches out there where everybody thinks alike, they all look alike, they all vote alike. That is not our church. There is a broad spectrum of people that are a part of Journey Church that love God, but think very, very differently. One of the advantages that I have is that I get to stand up here, and when we used to meet together, We used to do a greeting time where we'd kind of mix and people would say hello to one another, maybe hug one another. That seems like that's going to be out the window for a long, long time. But when I would stand up here and I would watch that happening, I've got the advantage because I know lots of people inside what's going on in them. And I watch them out there during that greeting time, hugging one another, shaking hands with one another. And I'm just thinking to myself, you guys, you two think very, very differently. But I love that. I love that that's true of our church because the gospel removes divisions between people. That's what Paul is telling us here. The gospel removes divisions. And if there's anything, friends, that should unite our hearts as a church, it's to break down any divisions that exist in our church or in our culture. It's because of the gospel. It's because of what Paul is teaching us here that we have a mandate. I believe a mandate from God to speak up and to speak out on issues that divide people. And it's not about our color. It's not about our ideology. It's not about our politics. It is rooted in who we are as bearers of the image of Jesus. This is who we are. As I've been engaging in this issue Uh, around our church and around our culture. I've been listening to a lot of voices out there. One pastor that I really, really respect, 
he shared something that was really, really helpful to me. He talked about this issue of racism, and he talked about there's a difference between being non-racist and being an anti-racist. Maybe in some ways you've heard this language used before, but he couched it in a picture that my mind was able to grab. He said, imagine that you were walking down the street and you looked over and you saw someone abusing a child. You could say to yourself, hey, I'm not a child abuser and just keep on moving. That would be a non-child abuser statement, move to make. But if you were an anti-child abuser, you would do something. You would speak up. You would speak out. You would speak in to the situation. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do as people who bear the gospel, who bear this message that is about breaking down divisions. God calls us to speak up and to speak out. A handful of weeks ago, kind of long before this blew up recently in the George Floyd murder, I had a conversation with a guy in a very public place. He was a follower of Jesus. He doesn't attend our church. But as we started to have this conversation, it got very racist from his side. And I was growing increasingly uncomfortable because the way that he was communicating to me in this public place that others were hearing, he was communicating in a way that's like, you agree with me, don't you? And ultimately, he got to this place where he just said the most racist thing that I could imagine. And I just put my hands up and I said, I have to leave now. And I walked away. I think what I did there was what you would call a non-racist response. I just, I'm not gonna deal with this right now. I wish for everything that I could have a do-over of that moment. I wish that I could go back and do it over again and engage that situation to move toward it. Sometimes in my mind, I have this fantasy that I just go push him and poke him in the chest. But I know I've got to think about what are helpful and healthy and constructive ways to engage that conversation. Because friends, I believe as followers of Jesus that are about breaking down divisions, we've got to speak up and we've got to speak out when we see racism wherever it exists. And I know that that is gonna look different for everyone. But if I'm understanding Paul correctly, it can't be indifferent for anyone. That's not an option for us as followers of Jesus. Paul goes into a second thing as he starts to talk about what is it gonna look like when our life starts transforming? He says there's clothes that you're gonna take off, but then there's clothes also that you're gonna put on. Here's what Paul says, talking more about the fruit and a way for us to ask the question, is my life transforming? Again, verse 12, he says, therefore, and what's the question that we ask when we hear the word therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? And Paul, it's like he can't quit talking about our foundation of the union of, with Christ. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, you're holy, you're, holy, you're set apart, you're without sin. That's who you are as a follower of Jesus. That is your foundation. And you're dearly, dearly loved by God. He says, you need to clothe yourselves. You need to put on some new clothes.
Here's what Paul says is a wardrobe that is fitting for someone that this is their foundation. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Question for us, Journey. Question for every one of us. Are you properly dressed? When the world around you sees you, experiences you, engages with you, is this what they see? Compassion, kindness, humility. Are you dressed like Jesus? Maybe ask some questions. Maybe ask some people around you. Maybe, maybe start with the people that are close to you. I would call these maybe people that you like and people that like you. Ask them, as you experience me, what do you experience? What are some of the adjectives that would be used to describe you? Are they the same adjectives that described Jesus? But secondly, that's, that's the low-hanging fruit. Those are the easy questions to ask. People that like you. Maybe let's raise the bar a little bit. Let's begin to ask those same questions with people that don't look like you. Maybe they think differently than you think, act differently than you act, believe differently. Maybe they vote differently than you do. As they experience you, what do they experience? And maybe let's take the bar and raise it even a little bit further. Not the people that like you, not the people that don't look like you, but what about the people that don't like you? How do they experience you in your response to them? Here's the deal. This Jesus that identifies who we are, I can answer that question for you. He had compassion and humility and forgiveness for people that liked him. But he also, he had compassion and humility and forgiveness for people that were nothing like him. It's how he lived his life. And Jesus, he raised the bar in our lives to the uttermost because he gave this same thing to those that didn't like him. This was the Jesus who, as he was being nailed to a cross, beaten, he looked to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. It's not just about people that like you, people that aren't like you, also about people that don't like you. Is your life characterized by the life of Jesus? But these are a lot of words to remember. There's like seven of them here. How are you going to remember to do all those? Paul gives us some cliff notes. He said, if you, if you can't remember those seven words, then just make sure that there's one outfit that you always have on. Here's what Paul says. He says, and over all these virtues, over all those other things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Here's how Jesus said it. There's all these commands out there that you can follow, but Jesus said, hey, if you can just get dialed in on this one, 
we're gonna be just fine. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Journey, that's the question that we need to ask when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night. Are we loving people well? Not just the people that like us, but are we loving well the people that aren't like us, that look different, think different, act different than us? And are we putting on love toward people that don't like us? That's the command that Jesus gives us. Friends, he's asking us, put off. If there's anything in your life that doesn't correspond to a life that follows Jesus, he says, take that out of your wardrobe. Clean out your closet of all those things and put on the love of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, I just wanna say thank you for what you did for us. I am so thankful because of your shed blood on the cross in our place, that now everything that is true of you is now true of us. We died with you. Your righteous life covers our unrighteous life. Jesus, your resurrection will become our resurrection to new life. And thank you that our ability to move toward this isn't based on anything that we do or could do, but is only based on what you've done. We have nothing that we can do, Jesus, but just to drop to our knees and say thank you. And Jesus, we wanna grow. We wanna grow, we wanna look more like you. We don't want there to be anything that we're wearing in our life that mars the image of you in us. We want people to see you through us. Jesus, show us what we need to put on. Show us where we need to grow. We need your help to live this new life. Jesus, we trust you to do that with us and for us. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.